move on down the line where there ain't nobody Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with New York City-based jazz vocalist, educator, and recording artist Tyreek McDowell. Fresh off winning the 2023 Saravon International Jazz Vocal Competition, we caught up with Tyreek to discuss this competition, his history in singing and music, and what the future might hold. He was one of the five finalists who emerged from a record number of more than 280 applicants representing 37 countries. It is only the second time a male vocalist has won in the contest's 12-year history. This up-and-coming 23-year-old artist has been making waves and enchanting audiences with his remarkable talent, characterized by a velvety tone and polished delivery. With a string of prestigious awards to his name, these days he is going to some wonderful places. We get into quite a bit here. Enjoy. What's up, Tyreek? How you doing, Joe? Everything's good. Nice to meet you, man. Nice to meet you. <laughs> I'm glad that David Bassey got us in touch, and I... Uh, I remember interviewing Samara Joy about a year and a half ago, right before the whole tidal wave just totally vaulted her into stardom. It was wild. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so this competition has just been such a boom for everybody that's been involved. But before we get into the competition that you won, I want to know, first and foremost, surviving COVID the last three and a half years or so that really went through the community of musicians quite heavily. How did you get through it and how did it change you? Wow. Yeah. I almost forgot that we had a whole plague that shut the whole planet down. <laughs> That's a good thing. Right. <laughs> yeah. When it first happened, I was very, very sad and very, you know, deflated. I was like, Okay, out of all the jobs that I could have picked, I chose the one arts degree for a music that apparently no one listens to. So, yeah, I was feeling a little lost. But actually, during that time, I found so much inspiration. Um, there was nothing to do, so all I can do is shed and research. Um, so I actually studied a lot of um, different forms of music. I studied a lot of Afro-Cuban music. I got into that. Studied some Haitian folkloric music. Uh, you know, just listening, learning tunes, trying to find other ways to maintain my creativity. And I think because of that period, it actually like catapulted me into a more dedicated and focused, um, focused mindset go getting out of COVID. Yeah. So like, okay, if I'm going to, if we're all going to survive this and, you know, it's not trumpets aren't sounding just yet, <laughs> then why don't why don't we really go for it you know yeah Give it a chance almost so before we get to the tidal wave of winning this competition i want to get to the beginnings of your life where were you born and raised and how did this love of singing music jazz all of that how did that become something that was a fascination for you early so i was born in suffern new york uh, in 2000 um I was born to a Haitian mother and a American father, and we we're all New Yorkers. Um, and then we moved down after um, 9-11, um, moved down to Florida. I grew up in this really small country-esque town <laughs> called St. Cloud. There was actually nothing but orange groves and cows when we first moved there. And the neighborhood wasn't even developed yet. There were sunflowers where all the houses were. So wow. it was really beautiful. Yeah. I, I grew up there. Uh, 
And I have um, a few siblings. I have uh, two older sisters and one younger brother, Camrys, Kristen, and Cameron, and my dad, uh, Christopher, and my mom, Camille. <laughs> Ice. Right. So, yeah, learning music. Uh, my aunt had a piano in her house. Granted, I didn't know how to play it. I was just pressing buttons, but that got me enamored. I was like, I could make music by myself. That was really interesting. And then what really sealed the deal for me was when the the movie The Princess and the Frog came out. Yeah. I was in elementary school and I was already curious about playing music, but when I saw that alligator play the trumpet, I knew I wanted to join the band. So from there I was in band class and I was doing all kinds of arts. I even did theater for a while. Uh I played orchestral music. Uh actually um played uh a lot of symphonic works as well as jazz works. And then, yeah, from there, I just kept learning more and more about music. I learned who Debussy is. I learned who Miles Davis is, Louis Armstrong, learned Bach, and learned how hard it is to play Bach on the marimba. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I experimented with some singing, but it wasn't until... Um, I was playing classical percussion for a production of Into the Woods for a play at my high school, Osceola County School for the Arts. Um, one of the actors had gotten sick and they were just unable to show up for this musical rehearsal that we happened to have. Um, and then everyone's like, oh man, it would be great. It would be really great to hear some words to go along, you know, just the singing to go along with this. So I volunteered. Because I was studying the music already. I said, why not? Then I began singing. And then when I started singing, I noticed everyone's head just going slowly. Wow. I even got the comment, percussionist that can sing. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, little did I know that um, the jazz director at the time, Edwin Santiago, he was in the back of the hall just listening and then he asked me to join the jazz band. And that's really how I got my start. Um, yeah. So what was what was one of the first live shows that you saw that blew you away and maybe inspired you to either want to get on that stage or just to, to love the jazz craft? Wow. That's actually really interesting because uh, growing up in Orlando, there wasn't much jazz happening. Um, a lot of folks just um, fly over that region of Florida and they go straight to Miami or wherever else it's, I actually have to thank YouTube for all that. I I would, I couldn't, I couldn't go to see Miles Davis and John Coltrane, but you know, I could, I was lucky enough that even, you know, a few years after YouTube had started, some some folks uploaded those concerts like, like Mount Fuji or um, live in Italy, like, or when they're in Rome or Paris you know, you can see all my heroes in the flesh, so to speak. Yeah. And so, yeah. So what, how did it all begin for you? So you, you, you got into the band, you, I I'd seen a mention of it in 2018, there was an Ellington competition. How did all of this kind of start in earnest where you're like, this is the direction that I want to be in. This is what I want my life to be. Sure. Um, yeah, so I definitely have to give credit to um, two mentors of mine, um, one being the great bassist, composer, um, former member of Jazz at Lincoln Center, and the Roy Hargrove Quintet, 
um, Rodney Whitaker. Yeah. Wonderful basis. And his daughter, Raquel Whitaker, who is a great singer, songwriter, producer, vocalist, great friend overall, great mentor. Both of them basically taught me the basis of what I would need to sing jazz, having um, taught at a summer camp in Orlando called the Dr. Phillips Jazz Camp. So thank, thanks to people like that and for moments like that, that I could realize that not only was it possible uh, to have a career in this, but there was a community waiting for me. So I'm very thankful. So when did you come back to New York? Um, yeah. So yeah, I won the essential, or I didn't win essentially Ellington. I won an award at essentially Ellington. I got the outstanding vocalist and, uh, I just moved back to New York a few months ago. I, I go in and out for work sometimes or just to visit, get, get into the scene a little bit, but, uh, I would say starting now, yeah, actually, this should be the sixth month that I've been an official New York resident. <laughs> right on. So did you all, before you sang and everybody turned their heads, did you know you had that in you? Or was it something that you just said, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to go for it. What, what, what was your thinking going into that? Did you know you had this? It's hilarious. You know, I I totally discovered it by accident. I knew that I had a voice. Like I think we, uh, I think a lot of people have the ability to sing, but I didn't realize the impact that my particular voice had on others. So, because of things like essentially Ellington or Young Arts or any of these opportunities I had performing with some of my favorite artists, it was like those were all validating moments to say, maybe you should really consider getting into that lane. Mm -hmm. So as the winner of this prestigious award, how did the process start? How did you get to a point where you were vetted or you knew that you wanted to do this? Explain to me the process because it has to be almost like what Americans witness on the shows where you have this whole competition that starts at one point, steamrolls, things get intense, and then there's just this wave of adrenaline because you actually are on stage thinking, am I going to win this thing? So how did all of it kind of evolve for you? Surely. <laughs> I actually applied to this competition multiple times. So just to preface that, I think I applied two or three times before and never got never got in but this year um i was actually i wasn't even sure if i was gonna audition to be honest um but i was saying i just told myself why not the yeah. worst case is that they say no again and then you just try again the next year that's all you can do <laughs> so yeah i applied and then i actually did a show um with a great friend marcus grant he's a drummer and then we did the music of um Mumia Abu Jamal. Uh, we premiered. We premiered his music in uh, Rhode Island at Brown University, and then right after the show, I see an email that flashes up and it says, "Congratulations, you have been selected." And I was just shocked. I was like, "I made it this far." <laughs> <laughs> I was like, "Well, now it's time to go." Uh, I need to think about what to sing, what to do. How do I actually want to go about this? How do I want to approach it? I, I decided to be very strategic with um or as strategic as I could be <laughs> yeah. with how I approached this competition. Um I definitely reviewed my own materials and then I just thought, okay, I'm thinking about the order of how I submitted my things and thinking about the length of it. I'm thinking about 
what exactly that I showcased that might that might have helped me stand out. And I think by virtue of being a male, that was a huge boost. Um, but also the kind of male voice that I have, I didn't really see in a lot of um, other folks in past who have applied um, in terms of just like a low register or yeah, just to, amongst um, other things. But um, from there, I decided to hone in on what exactly is it that makes me me and how can I capitalize on that? So, yeah, the days leading up to it, I just tried not to stress myself out and flip. And, you know, I just try to be restful, try to rest my mind. And then I just decided rather than being stressed, just have fun and put on a good show. That's what it's really all about. I mean, it is entertainment, but uh, it's also art and it's really validating for yourself. I think um, I said it in a previous interview. Um, they asked all the applicants, how do you think you'll win? And I said, by being myself. Yeah. But isn't, isn't that the trick though, to keep yourself calm and to be focused on it? Like with anybody, whether it's an athlete or a musician, if you get mired up in the muck of everything that's rotating around it, you're going to get lost. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's all about you. That's why they picked you because you are what you have. And if you can bring that and be calm, that's the key. Of course. Yeah. Um, so what was it like when you got on stage, they were getting ready to announce it. You hear your name. What was what 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 was that whole euphoria like for you? I was pretty much in a daze. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was so much animosity building up. Not animosity. There was so much tension building up to say to see who was the first place winner. I was like, oh goodness, there's actually a chance that I could make this. And um, I heard my name, and I could only accept it. I could only take it take it in and realize this is reality uh, i worked hard for this and you know i actually came to this point so i was very happy and then i heard my family in the audience i heard a lot of friends in the audience cheering me on so i was you know i was ecstatic so what kind of doors is this opening up for you now what kind of things are starting to happen because of this surely um I've been asked to record with so many people, um, uh, not not only record, but just to collaborate with so many folks that I've admired for so long. Like I've been working with Theo Croker, a great trumpeter. Uh, yep. He played with Dee Dee Bridgewater, amongst others. He's actually the grandson of Doc Cheatham, which is yeah. incredible. <laughs> and he's yeah. been been a great friend and great mentor. Um, I found all mentors. Um, the mentor Eric Wyatt also known as the mayor of Brooklyn and the godson of uh, Sonny Rollins. He's been a significant help to me um, in terms of just navigating the scene and navigating um, both the uh, the fun side and the not-so-fun side, the music and the not-so-music side of being an artist. Um, and I have been approached by several festivals and venues and some labels amongst other opportunities that I would love to support the work that I'm doing and support um, my artistic vision. 
So the one thing that you had mentioned up front is, man, I picked this profession that's not really paying when the pandemic started. Like, what am I doing? But the one thing I think that's always kind of the hidden secret is the jazz community is an incredible collection of people, incredibly right. talented, grounded, wonderful people that want to pass the baton on. Eric Wise, he's he's a wonderful cat. And, and I can just imagine how helpful he would be to keep that torch going, especially under the guise of Sonny. So... What is it that you like the best about this jazz community that is now kind of coming out and embracing you increasingly since the, the, the competition? I think one of the best parts about it is that we celebrate our individuality as a collective. And it's really about seeing everybody win. Um, not necessarily winning awards, but seeing everyone succeed in their own way and as as themselves um i love to see it when my friends are collaborating with some great a artists like um my friend jason clotter who's a great and up-and-coming bassist he's working with jasmine horn and joe joe farnsworth and he's always telling me about how he just he always grew up he was a actual new york native that's like yeah. very rare <laughs> for me to see in the new york jazz scene right now most of us are transplants but um, I just love to see moments like when he's playing with Jasmia and he goes to Greece or Europe or he's playing with Jazz at Lincoln Center. You know, I think it's it's really beautiful to see that this community is all about giving back to those um, who invest in it. You know, it's a very it's a very there's not a lot of gatekeeping. Yeah. You know, it's all about love and it's about the folks who love the music and are driven. So the one thing that's unique about musicians that grow up in New York is that you see this cauldron, this this epicenter of the world that is jazz, all these hallowed venues. Where have you played so far that you were like, I can't believe I'm on this stage? And what stage do you eventually want to play on that you dreamed of playing on? Ooh, I love that. <laughs> um, to date in New York, I have played at Carnegie Hall. I've played at Jazz at Lincoln Center's. Um, Rose Theater and Dizzy's Club uh, and their atrium. <laughs> I've played the Caramore Jazz Festival. I played at Blue Note. Uh, I played at Birdland. I'm going to play at um, Smalls on Tuesday. Um, but some places, some spaces that I would love to perform. Hmm. Yeah. Dang, that's actually a really hard one. <laughs> Where do I want to play? <laughs> I would say who's paying, but... <laughs> right. <laughs> well, I would love to play Summer Stage. Yeah. It's a dream of mine. Going back to that um, mention of YouTube and clips, um, during the pandemic, at one of my lowest points, there was so much... Um, it's just so much happening in America. And, you know, just between, like, Black Lives Matter protests and just the number of folks that were you know, uh, suffering during that time. Uh, one of the lights that I had was seeing a clip of Roy Hargrove um, performing. I think it was either, I think it was the 90s. Yeah, it's definitely the 90s. It's Roy Hargrove. Yeah. <laughs> He's playing with this big band in Central Park, and then they're playing September in the Rain. Um, that was probably one of the happiest moments that I saw, that I had musically during the pandemic. And um, I actually sang that same song during the competition at Sarah Vaughn. Um, right on. Yeah, so that was in dedication to both Sarah, her version from um, Live at Kelly's, Live at Mr. Kelly's, and Ray Hargrove's rendition. Uh, 
you know, whenever he does the call and response, it just, I just love to see how um, we as artists can bring in a whole community, you know, encouraging all these strangers to just let go and to sing. Beautiful. Yeah. So if you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see anybody live at any venue, where are you going? Oh, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> I think, ooh, I definitely want to see Miles Davis. I'd love to, ooh, I think I would love to see Miles Davis, like, in his electric era. That would be really cool. In his electric era, playing with, like, Kenny Garrett. Maybe a niece. That would be really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I hope to go to Paris. Oh, um, places that I hope to play. I hope to play uh, in Paris at any festival that would have me. Uh, nice. <laughs> I hope to play in London. I hope to play <laughs> all around the world. <laughs> right, on. right on. So at the end of the day, why do you love jazz? Why do I love this music? I love this music because, hmm, I mean, it's all about humanity and it's all about the people. I think that's what great art is supposed to be. It's supposed to connect people. It's supposed to be a, a form of communication. Um, I think this music does it the best. Um, it definitely can take a learning curve for a lot of folks, but you know, when something feels good, it feels good. That's just a universal feeling. We all speak that language of swing and the blues. We all know what these feelings are. So it's really about tapping into that and allowing yourself to experience that. But yeah, I, I love this music for that reason. I love it um, just for the prestige and not not in the not in the sense of, oh, it's like all hoity-toity and classes or whatever. But I just love the significance that it's had in this world and like just the moments, like some of the most impactful moments that we've had, especially in America that it's had on its people so we talk about like um how art reflects life reflects art um charlie parker wrote a composition called now's the time civil rights movement um john coltrane wrote the song alabama that was after the bombing with those girls in that church um uh lewis armstrong did a state department tour and went to africa um Dizzy Gillespie went to South America, you know, like we, there's actual significance to this music and it's definitely helped shape culture in America. And I think it's really important that we, that we hold on to one of our greatest inventions and really yeah. celebrate that and keep it as a part of our legacy and our culture. I think it'll help free us. Absolutely. So everyone Tyreek out there has a perception of you, family, friends, fans, but you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oof. <laughs> <laughs> we're going right into the therapy chair now <laughs> that's what i'm saying i'm in the chair i'm comfy already who do i think i am I'm, I'm just a person god put me on this planet to i don't know i'm trying to figure out what my mission is on this earth and really right now i just hope to hope i just hope to spread love and spread music and spread peace and spread knowledge you know i think that's the job that we have as artists we also have to be um advocates for things that we believe in you know whether it be um peaceful protests whether it be a food drive whether it be advocating for 
you know, just like housing or even your rights. We were just talking about that with <laughs> Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and Billie Holiday. They, they they showed us the roadmap of what we can do with this music. So that's where I think I am. That's where I think I am. Uh, I'm I'm just a person like anyone else. I just love to sing and I hope to share that gift with everybody else. So speaking of sharing the gift, if anyone wants to find out about live shows, any recordings that might be coming out, anything about your world, where can they go? Sure. Um, you guys could head to my Instagram firstly. We could get those likes up. <laughs> uh, yeah, my it's just my name, Tyreek McDowell, T-Y-R-E-E-K-M-C-D-O-L-E. Uh, I usually post there. I also have a website. Uh, it's also my name, TyreekMcDowell.com. And I have Facebook and Twitter, all just my name. But um, yeah, so you could you could actually hear some um, tracks that I cut. Um, I cut a track with Isaiah Thompson, Isaiah J. Thompson, excuse me. Wonderful pianist, plays with Wynn Marsalis, John Pizzarelli, amongst everybody else that's um, on the all-star list. Um, we we did um, the music of Vince Guaraldi. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm on a track called Little Birdie. Yeah. You guys I just could... had it on the show. Had a Christmas oh, show. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Nice. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And and I interviewed Sean Mendelson about the Thanksgiving album that came out. And he oh, yeah. mentioned that Isaiah was doing his rendition of Garaldi. And yeah, it's tasty. Very, very good album. Thank you so much. Uh, I think Isaiah did a wonderful job with yeah. that one. Um, yeah, I also just cut a track with Maurice Brown since it's the holiday season. Uh, we did a Chicago slow and sensual version of <laughs> the Christmas song. So I hope you guys give that one a listen. It's all uh, both of those tracks are on all streaming platforms. Right on. Tyreek, this has been great, man. Congratulations. And I look forward to talking with you down the line as the material continues to come out. So best of luck with everything. Have a great holiday season. And same to you, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Tyreek for his time, energy, and story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube for everything Neon Jazz all the time. Go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.